Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are my colleagues Kate Bailey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor, Emma Ajimang, Personal Finance Writer and James Norrington, Specialist Writer. This year, company news has been dominated by announcements of dividend cuts by large and supposedly strong UK companies, prominent examples including Barclays and Rolls-Royce. This is highly unnerving for investors who rely on dividends to shore up their income, whether to supplement a pension, build up savings or other purposes. But Emma, you've been speaking to some fund managers who say they can protect their fund from this deluge of cuts. Who are they and how are they doing this? Yes, I spoke to the managers of TBY's Evenload Income Fund, Hugh Yarrow and Ben Peters, and they say that they've been able to um, protect themselves from the cuts so far because they have a concentrated portfolio of asset-like companies and the kind of companies that they focus on um, tend to have a global reach and a competitive advantage in their sectors. So they think this is a kind of recipe for um, protecting the, the fund and their portfolio from cuts in, in you know, these big companies. And what they focus on is what Warren Buffett has called economic mates. And these are companies that have a strong competitive edge in their, in their sector. And because of they've got that edge, they often have pricing power. And that means they're able to um, more likely to have good free cash flow, which is one of the things that these managers tend to look for. Okay, now what would be examples of some of these companies? Well, they like well-established brands because, as I say, asset-like companies with good cash flow. So some of the companies that that they hold include Microsoft, Johnson & Johnson and Unilever. And they also like what they call mission-critical type of products, companies that produce that. So, for example, Rotalk, which manufactures products for power plants. And some of the other consumer staple products that they like include companies that, that, you know, produce products that are always going to be in demand, like beer and tobacco, say um, Imperial Brands, for example. Okay. Now, what kind of companies do they avoid? Well, because they've got this this focus on asset-like companies, they don't like companies that are very capital intensive. And they say that one of the reasons that, um, or sort of the reasons that tend to affect companies that tend to cut their dividends are to do with companies that are capital intensive, have high leverage and are more sensitive to the economic cycle. So they they avoid companies that they feel have those characteristics. And these tend to be in oil and mining sectors, utilities and telecoms. Okay. Now, this fund um, generates a good income and it's performed well. But it's actually not ranked as an equity income fund by the Investment Association. That's the body which uh, represents UK fund managers and ranks funds into sectors. Emma, why don't they consider it to be an equity income fund? Um, Yes, Leonora, you're right. Last month, this fund was one of a number of funds that that fell out of the IA's UK equity income sector. And that's because they missed out on the yield requirement that that sector, um, the IA has for that sector. Um, which is currently 3.8%. But this fund managed a 3.7% um, yield, so only very narrowly missed out on it. The manager, Mr Yarrow, says that this is an arbitrary figure and really they've been working, um, they've contributed to the consultation that the IEA has mm. out on what the yield requirements should be for the sector because what they feel is that investors really are looking for sustainable income 
and um, you know having a, a just set figure, a hard figure like that in this way doesn't necessarily reflect the fact that the the fund is producing a sustainable and, and still good high yield. Okay, um, why does Mr. Yahoo focus on sustainable income rather than the highest income? It's all about ensuring that the income that is produced from the companies they hold is is stable. He says, and that's about balancing the, the dividends that are received now and in the future. He says that the problem with um, funds that are just going to chase high yield is that that might force managers to sort of take a more short-term view and um, hold hold stocks that are more likely to be high risk um, because they've got a high yield and they're more likely, therefore, to, to cut their dividends in the future. So it's really about ensuring that you hold um, companies that are going to, to be able to maintain their dividend, he, he believes. Okay. Um, now, James, um, I wondered what you, your view is on this. Do you think investors should opt for shares and funds of lower yields, but with the potential to grow or, or go for higher stuff? Uh, well, thanks. You know, I mean, I think to Emma's point she made earlier, it's about the quality and sustainability of dividends. Um, I think it's important investors pay attention to the dividend cover ratio, um, which is the earnings per share divided by dividend per share but also dividends to free cash flow, which is a, a key quality measure. And that, that's a good indicator that the company is going to be able to maintain its dividend. OK, now we've obviously been talking about all these cuts. Um, it is really worrying. Do you think the UK market still offers a decent choice of income shares for investors? Well, I'd, I'd actually refer Investors Chronicle readers um, to the feature that Algie Hall uh, at the beginning of May, where he, he ran a, an easy income stock screen and um, where he, he selected companies such as Go Ahead, GlaxoSmithKline, Hiscox, based on some quite strict criteria, uh, including uh, quality measures, um, saying their dividend cover, but also their history of unbroken dividend payments. Um, but there are also some other defensive measures. So um, stocks were selected based on their beta, which is their correlation to market risk, which he set at 0.75 or less. So that, that feature definitely be worth uh, looking up again on the website if you're an IC subscriber. Okay, and we also have some features on investment trusts that have safe dividend reserves and stable income profiles as well. Thank you, Emma and James. Now, sticking with the subject of income, this week's portfolio clinic features a reader who wants to generate an income of about 4%, as well as keep ahead of inflation and increase the value of his portfolio. James, you are one of the experts who reviewed this portfolio. So, Actually, in the current market environment, can you realistically generate an income of 4% a year? Well, it's certainly possible. Um, the yield on the FTSE 100 is around 4.5% now. So you, you can do it. But the problem is doing it on a risk-adjusted basis. With bond yields so low, investors um, are basically having to take the risk of, of a higher equity allocation to achieve that. And, and that obviously comes with it the risk of peak-to-trough drawdowns in, in periods of um, market mm-hmm. uncertainty. So it's possible, but but you know you, you really need to look at managing risk as well. So it's a balance. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that takes me to my next point. The reader doesn't want to lose more than ten percent a year. Are his choices cautious enough to meet his objectives? Well, I think sort of um, that that question that we ask readers, it's kind of a, a bit bit sort of leading because I, I don't think anybody's really ever going to say um, that they're prepared to lose twenty five or thirty mm. percent in a year, which is basically something that as a, somebody who's with a heavy allocation to UK equities in, in the concentration that this portfolio mm. was, that you, you are taking on that risk. The stocks themselves that he had, um, they were have, um, they had some good defensive characteristics. Chris Dillow made the point that defensives have outperformed 
down the years. But I think for somebody prioritising capital protection, I think that in this portfolio, there was probably too much concentration in, in just the one asset class of UK shares. And also, I'd note that some of the stocks there weren't consistent with the defensive um, income policy. I noticed he was holding Barclays, for example, which if you've mentioned cut its dividend and is very much would be a long term speculative value play. Okay. I shall jump to one of my later questions actually on financials. One of the other commentators I think said that he should maybe reduce his exposure to financials overall, never mind just Barclays, because these are volatile. Would you agree that he should cut exposure to financials? Again, because he, he's mentioned uh, capital protection and, mm. and income as, as the as the, the sort of the, the areas he'd like to focus on in his portfolio. So, from the point of view of you know having a, a consistent port policy statement for the portfolio, I think he he should reduce some of the exposure to to the financial sectors and um, broad financial sectors also because in in chasing income he's got a few quite a few holdings in in insurance companies and probably would need to diversify that a bit in my view. Okay, now we've looked at um, what's wrong. So, what will be a good asset allocation for somebody who feels they can't lose more than 10% a year? Um, well, I think you'd need um, a bit more of a split with, with fixed income investments. Um, and uh, I mean, again, for the capital protection point of view, um, so, so government bonds are, are going to be less risky, although, of course, that, that comes with yields um, at record mm. lows at the moment. That, that just highlights the challenge. Uh, I'd also probably for capital protection, you know, on moments of uncertainty, we've got Brexit coming up in, mm. in, in a week. Um, uh, it probably is a good time to hold more cash. And we are seeing investors sitting on bigger cash piles at any time since 2008. But really, the, the only free lunch in investing is diversification. Um, to, to nick another quote from Buffett, I think it is, or, or maybe Markowitz, I get confused. But really, so you want more exposure to more, uh, as Emma's point, international shares. Um, and But also I'd look at um, other, for the risk portion of your mm. portfolio, so these are risky assets, but but other assets like property, that you, you which you could do through a, a real estate investment trust as well. Yeah, I mean... Can you have a low risk appetite and still generate four percent a year, or does something have to give? Well, it's uh, if you have um, a genuinely low risk tolerance, then it would be very tough, you know, with interest rates and gilt yields at all time lows as, as they are, to, to, to sort of to keep a very um, low risk of, of peak to trough drawdown. Um, so, if you have a short time horizon, four percent is going to be a a challenge with with low risk but for investors with longer term horizons then there's things you can do you can adopt a, a dynamic asset allocation policy um you know, things like constant proportion portfolio insurance policies which is where you hold enough um low risk assets such as mm. such as benchmark 10-year government bonds uh, and cash um to ensure that the capital value of your portfolio never falls through a certain floor and then you invest the riskier portion of your portfolio in, in assets like equities that can perform the wealth generation function so um, if you have the time horizon to try and um, then, then there are ways you could do it with managing your risk. But in, in the short term, I think you'd, you'd really probably have to just get a bit more of a realistic objective in the first place. And then just thinking about the portfolio constructions, what the key questions investors should consider when they're putting together um, this sort of hypothetical portfolio for income with defensive characteristics well i, I think um the, the 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 key measures that you're looking at quality measures um again looking at, at, at lower beta market risk and, and again another point we, we saw with the with the, the managers that, that emma interviewed um cash is king um look at the financial position of companies as well um have they got any other uh, demands on their cash flow what's their debt position like um and operationally just pay attention to how cyclical are companies revenue streams which was ultimately 
what funds dividends. And I mean, there are some companies um, that, that, you know, are very determined to maintain their dividend. You look at, you know, Shell's a great example whereby, you know, obviously uh, um, the, inc- um, the revenues have been hit massively by the by the weaker oil price over the last well obviously it's come back the last few months but but, but the weaker the trend in, in weaker oil price but they've been prepared to dip into their cash pile and sell assets and protect the dividend on the subject of i suppose construction this reader only holds direct shares now he says he's got um you know this this requirement not to lose so much money would he be better to have funds because funds are theoretically lower risk than shares direct shares you're putting all your you know, all, all, all your assets into like one company. In fact, one company goes bust, you know, you're done. Um, but with a fund, it's uh, really well diversified. Well, I think this particular reader is quite an experienced investor. Uh, he lived through the tough times like 2008, 2009. And I'd also say that crucially, his personal circumstances, he wasn't dependent on his portfolio for his living expenses um, or for his future income necessarily because he had a, another separate source of income with his pension. So he was clearly, you know, I, you know, Mm. implicitly he was more comfortable with his with the risk than than than, than perhaps the 10% that he suggested for a less experienced investor you're absolutely right um collective investment schemes like you know oics investment trusts or etfs you know they're they're a better option because you know more of the idiosyncratic risk of individual shares is diversified um as you say so you you're just left then with the systematic uh, market risk um or or beta and which can again be diversified by looking at other asset classes using building blocks again such as uh, mutual funds etfs Thank you, James. Some really helpful suggestions. Now, MSCI Emerging Markets Index is one of the main benchmarks for this region as it includes a wide range of companies and countries from this area. However, there's one very large and glaring omission from this index, Chinese mainland listed shares, known as A-shares. MSCI reviews what goes into its Emerging Markets Index every year and has been considering including China, but in its latest review, yet again declined to include Chinese mainland A-shares. Kate, you've been following this issue. Why won't MSCI include Chinese mainland A-shares in its Emerging Markets Index? And well, it's basically said that it's delaying again because there are still big issues concerning the transparency and the accessibility of the Chinese market. So it said that it's waiting for those to be resolved before adding A shares. I mean, the biggest problem seems to be its quota system. So international investors still need to access Chinese A shares through its qualified investor scheme. And a number of international investors have been telling MSCI that they've been suffering big delays in getting their allocation. Now, China has been making changes to improve that, but investors still can't repatriate their capital kind of regularly enough for their liking. Um, There are other issues. So foreign investors are prevented from taking out more than 20% of their investment each month, and they object to that. And there's a big issue around stock suspensions as well. So stock suspensions have been a major issue for liquidity. Companies can halt trading if, if they lose more than a certain amount per day. Now, Again, China has been making moves to kind of lift some of those, but MSCI wants to wait and see if the number of suspended stocks does decrease before it adds A shares. And there's a final kind of hurdle. Uh, MSCI this year raised new objections to a rule that requires foreign investors to seek approval from the country's stock exchanges uh, before launching products based on A shares. Now, MSCI says that could reduce investors' ability to hedge exposure, so it wants to see that changed. Okay. Um, What would MSCI Emerging Markets Index look like if Chinese A shares were included? 
China currently accounts for just under 30% of the index, and that's Chinese shares, offshore Chinese shares. So it would go up to, at the moment, just under 40%. It, the figures fluctuate a bit depending on valuations. So it's a big increase. Yeah. So, um, what would you know? What what are the implications here? You know, what does this all mean for investors? Well, it's got implications for anyone. The biggest implications, I guess, for those investing in passive funds, because any passive fund would have to ramp up its exposure to China in line with the index. But it's also got implications for anyone holding an emerging markets fund benchmarked against the MSCI emerging markets, because they would probably all have to increase exposure to A shares in line with this change. Okay, so that really changed the profile of um, you know a lot of these funds then, and, and, and I suppose quite importantly the risk profile. Yeah, and it could also have an impact on the valuations of A shares, which you know would be quite volatile around any move like this. Okay, um, so what are the future prospects then for the inclusion of um, Chinese A shares? Well, it's a, it's a tricky one because. That- People generally seem to think it would happen this time because China has taken a lot of steps to open up its market and had kind of ticked off a lot of things MSCI had asked it to do. Um, And a lot of investors, you know, are keen for it to be added because it is such a massive market and it does look like a bit of a glaring hole, I guess, in this emerging markets index. So it is a delay. It's not a no. And so kind of China is expected to keep opening up over the year and could be added again. It could be added even before the next inclusion. It's just a matter of time and MSCI waiting to see how some of these kind of policy changes come through. Okay. Now, MSCI did upgrade some uh, countries to emerging market status. Um, which, um, um, which were these? So Pakistan has been upgraded from frontier to emerging market status. Um, and MSCI has also said it's going to include the MSCI Argentina index in its 2017 annual market review. And that will be a potential reclassification to emerging market status. So that's a wait and see till next year. Okay. But uh, yeah, even without China, some interesting new opportunities for emerging markets investors. That's all we've got time for today. So it just remains to thank Kate Bailey. Deputy Personal Finance Editor, Emma Ajimang, Personal Finance Writer, and James Norrington, Specialist Writer at Investors Chronicle. You can read more about UK equity income, managing risk in your portfolio, and emerging markets in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.